You are now listening to Unsolved Mysteries and Cold Cases. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, your guide into the shadowy depths of the unresolved, the enigmatic, and the chilling. Each episode, we'll delve into baffling disappearances, unsolved crimes, and tales that have slipped through the cracks of time and memory. Through interviews, expert analysis, and meticulous investigation, we'll attempt to piece together the puzzles that have perplexed minds for years. So, if you have a curious heart and a mind unafraid of the shadows, join me in unraveling the enigmas that refuse to be forgotten and give voice to the silent tales hidden within the folds of history. In the year 1918, New Orleans, the vibrant heart of music, culture, and Creole cuisine, fell under the shadow of an unseen terror. As jazz notes floated through the air, winding their way through gaslit streets and past grand antebellum houses, a specter stalked the city's alleyways. This specter was no figment of overactive imaginations, nor a ghost spun from local folklore. Instead, it was a very real, chillingly corporeal predator. He slipped through the city's vibrant neighborhoods, leaving a grisly tableau in his wake and earning a name that would echo down the annals of criminal history, the Axemen of New Orleans. As the Axemen's reign of terror unfurled, a city famed for its celebrations and carnivals found itself gripped in a relentless fear. And, even more disturbingly, an almost macabre fascination with the specter that lurked in its midst. For the Axeman was no ordinary criminal. His crimes were brutal, his methods baffling and his seeming immunity to capture turned him into a sinister enigma. But perhaps the most chilling part of the Axeman's tale was not his crimes but his eerie proclamation, made through a letter penned in hellish delight, demanding the city dance to the tune of jazz or meet their doom. This is the story of the Axeman of New Orleans, a tale that weaves through the blood-stained streets of an enchanted city, delves into the mind of a mysterious killer, and tries to unravel a century-old mystery that continues to captivate us. It is a story of fear, fascination, and an unsolved series of crimes that cast a long, dark shadow on the vibrant tapestry of New Orleans history. Chapter 1. A Creepy Introduction In the early months of 1918, life flowed as usual in New Orleans, a city effervescent with the heady notes of jazz, the tang of spicy Creole cuisine, in a joie de vivre that was its signature. People meandered along the Mississippi River, Mardi Gras masks still hung in shop windows as reminders of recent revelry, and the tunes of Louis Armstrong echoed through the bustling markets. However, lurking beneath this facade of normalcy, a sinister shadow was about to emerge. The first ripples of the impending terror began modestly. On May 23, 1918, a couple, the Maggios, were found lifeless in their home. Joseph, a grocer, and his wife Catherine had met a brutal end. The crime scene was a grim tableau of violence, the couple's bodies bearing testament to a horrific assault. Strangely enough, an axe, gleaming under the cold light, was found at the scene, hinting at the killer's weapon of choice. Within weeks, the city was plagued by a series of similar crimes. Each one was marked by an uncanny commonality, an axe left at the scene, doors chiseled through, and the brutal violence inflicted on the victims. A thread of fear started to weave itself through the lively fabric of New Orleans, knotting every resident's heart with dread. 
One name started echoing through the city's gaslit streets, spoken in hushed whispers. It was a name that was as chilling as the actions it represented, one that personified the terror that had descended on the city, the Axeman. He was not just a criminal but a specter that haunted New Orleans, his presence seeping into every nook and cranny of the vibrant city. With each passing day, the legend of the Axeman grew, turning him into an entity that seemed less human and more supernatural. Who was this ghoul who danced with death under the cover of darkness? Was he a man, a monster, or perhaps a devil who had descended upon the city? The speculations fueled the growing legend, and the Axeman of New Orleans became a dreaded figure whose very name induced fear. As New Orleans quivered under this reign of terror, the city realized that it was not just dealing with gruesome murders but grappling with an enigma, the birth of a legend. This was no ordinary criminal they were dealing with, but an entity that would haunt the city's folklore for a century and beyond, leaving an indelible imprint on its history. The Axeman of New Orleans was born, and his reign was just beginning. Nestled by the Mississippi River, the city of New Orleans in the early 20th century was a bubbling pot of cultures. A unique blend of French, Spanish, African, and Native American influences, it presented a tapestry of vibrant life and traditions. From the quiet serenity of the Garden District to the lively, energetic pulse of the French Quarter, each neighborhood presented a unique slice of life. Majestic steamboats graced the river, their foggy whistles echoing across the city, mingling with the infectious rhythm of jazz that seemed to seep out from every corner. Street vendors hawked their wares, their calls rising above the melodies, and the scent of gumbo and jambalaya filled the air, enticing locals and visitors alike. The city was an orchestration of sights, sounds, and smells, playing a symphony of life that was uniquely New Orleanian. In this vibrant backdrop, several prominent figures of the era found their place. Figures like Louis Armstrong, the city's musical son, were redefining the world of jazz, while Tom Anderson, the unofficial mayor of the infamous Red Light District Storyville, held sway over the city's nightlife. There were the everyday people, too, who breathed life into the city, the grocers, the bakers, the dock workers, who formed the backbone of the New Orleans community. Despite the city's liveliness, the growing industrialization and the ongoing First World War brought about its own set of challenges and anxieties. The Spanish influenza, a global pandemic, added another layer of worry. Amid all this, there were the usual city concerns of crime and safety. Yet, nothing had prepared the city for the terror it was about to face. The streets that once echoed with the soulful notes of jazz and laughter began to whisper tales of a monster in their midst. The axeman had turned the city into his haunting ground, transforming the everyday scenery into a backdrop for his macabre play. Life in New Orleans took on a grim hue. Each chiseled door, each shadowy alleyway, and each moonlit night seemed to hold a hint of the horror that was unfolding. Thus, the city that danced to the beats of jazz was caught in a chilling suspense, and its joyous cacophony was now underscored with a dissonant note of fear. The city had unwittingly become the stage for a terrifying spectacle, with the axeman as the puppeteer, pulling at the strings of panic and dread. And amidst this, New Orleans waited, its breath baited, 
as the next act of the Axeman's gruesome symphony was set to begin. In the early summer of 1918, New Orleans was getting its first bitter taste of a reign of terror that would forever scar its memory. The burgeoning panic started with the horrific murder of the Maggios, a couple living a seemingly ordinary life until their fateful encounter with the Axemen. After the Maggios, the city's pulsating rhythm missed a beat when Louis Basumer and his mistress Anna Lowe were found brutally attacked in their grocery store. Basumer survived the assault, his head gashed but still breathing. Lowe wasn't as fortunate. Though she initially survived the attack, her injuries were severe and she succumbed to them later, whispering accusations against Basumer with her dying breath. New Orleans police, led by Chief Mooney, found themselves bewildered. These were not random acts of violence, but a sinister pattern was emerging. The assaults, the weapon of choice, the modus operandi, all pointed towards one horrifying conclusion. The city was being stalked by a serial killer. Yet, it was the attack on the Cordomiglia family that left the city in stunned silence. Rosie Cordomiglia and her baby Mary lay in a pool of blood when they were discovered. Rosie survived, but her baby didn't. The axeman had claimed his youngest victim. News of the attacks coursed through the city like an electric shock. Families huddled in their homes, eyes wide with fear and doors bolted, as moonlight flooded the city's streets, casting long eerie shadows. The music that usually lifted spirits now only served as a haunting reminder of unseen horrors. Even the normally raucous Bourbon Street felt the pall of silence descending. The city's leaders, politicians, and influential figures like Mayor Martin Behrman stood helpless as the terror unfurled. They tried to reassure the public, promising increased police presence and swift justice, but their words did little to quell the rising fear. The first strikes of the axemen had shattered the city's spirit, making every night a terrifying vigil, every sound a cause for alarm. Amid this grim reality, the lively city was forced to acknowledge the chilling presence of a new resident, a specter moving stealthily under the cover of darkness, his axe striking fear into the heart of the vibrant city. The first strikes had been made, the axeman of New Orleans was announcing his horrifying presence, and an era of terror was just beginning. Chapter 2 Unsettling Patterns in the City's Descent into Fear As the fear-laden summer of 1918 rolled on, the city's bravest detectives, including the tenacious Captain John Danton, were consumed with deciphering the axeman's pattern. As the grim tally of victims grew, certain chilling similarities began to emerge, painting a macabre portrait of the perpetrator's methods. First and foremost, the weapon of choice, an axe. Not brought by the killer, but obtained from the very homes of his victims. This detail sent a shudder through the city. Every household tool had become a potential instrument of doom, a possibility for carnage, lurking within the confines of one's own home. Next was the eerie modus operandi. The killer didn't simply break into homes, he exhibited a disturbingly deft touch by chiseling through doors. This careful, almost deliberate method of entry added a sinister nuance to the attacks. The silent, methodical invasion of personal spaces was an added psychological blow to the physical brutality of the crimes. Lastly, there were the victims themselves. 
the axemen did not seem to discriminate. Men, women, even a baby had fallen prey to his bloody rampage. Many of his victims were Italian grocers, which led to speculations about possible mafia involvement, but there was no concrete evidence to back this up. It appeared as though the axeman's striking ground was defined by opportunity rather than preference. Even the timing of the attacks painted a grim picture. They occurred at night, under the cover of darkness when the city was at its most vulnerable. The axeman was a nocturnal phantom, using the shadowy veil of night to carry out his heinous acts. This was the axeman's signature, as brutal as it was baffling. His style sowed seeds of chaos and confusion, making his movements unpredictable and his identity even more elusive. Every chiseled door and abandoned axe was a chilling testament to his presence, a horrifying autograph left behind by a remorseless predator. Even with the best minds, like Captain Danton, on the case, the axeman's methods kept the authorities grappling in the dark, searching for a breakthrough that remained maddeningly out of reach. The city held its breath, waiting, watching, as the shadow of the axeman grew longer with every passing day. His signature style was becoming a horrifying norm, a dreadful routine etched into the psyche of the New Orleans people. As the axeman's reign continued, the city that once thrived on its nocturnal charm was now suffocated by a pall of terror. The people of New Orleans had been thrust into a nightmarish reality. Each sunset brought with it a shroud of dread, and each sunrise was a sigh of relief for those who had made it through another night. New Orleans residents took drastic steps to protect themselves. Locks were checked and rechecked, doors reinforced, axes and sharp tools securely hidden away. Night watches were organized in neighborhoods, their eyes peeled for any signs of the marauding terror. The bustling nightlife the city was known for was replaced by an eerie silence, broken only by the distant strains of jazz, now a grim reminder of their predicament. The terror was not confined to the city limits. News of the Axeman's exploits had rippled outward, making headlines across the country. The nation watched in horrified fascination as the city of Jazz and Jambalaya grappled with its unseen predator. This national spotlight amplified the city's anxiety, each report, each speculation feeding the growing fear. In the midst of this mayhem, city officials like Mayor Behrman, along with the police chief, found themselves under immense pressure. The public demanded safety and justice, but their pleas seemed to echo futilely against the wall of the unknown. Prominent figures of the community, including the city's elite and influential Italian businessmen, put pressure on the authorities, seeking an end to the nightmare. Despite the fear, there was also a strange, defiant resilience. Life carried on. The markets still bustled during the daytime, children played on the streets under the watchful eyes of their parents, and the city's musicians still played, their music a mix of melancholy and defiance. The axeman's reign had sent ripples of terror far and wide, but the city held on, its spirit battered but unbroken. Amidst the dread, New Orleans showed a face of courage, a city teetering on the edge of fear, yet refusing to fall. As the waves of terror washed over it, New Orleans braced itself, gritted its teeth, and prepared to weather the storm. The city might have been in the grip of fear, but it was far from defeated. 
As the Axeman's reign of terror extended its icy grip over New Orleans, the city's law enforcement found themselves facing an enemy both ruthless and elusive. Leading the charge against this invisible threat was Police Chief Mooney, a veteran officer known for his no-nonsense approach and dogged determination. Mooney's force sprang into action, their numbers bolstered by auxiliary police and volunteer watchmen. Patrols were stepped up, particularly during the night, their lanterns casting pools of light in the eerie darkness. Officers worked double shifts, their eyes heavy with exhaustion but resolute in their mission. Each new incident was met with rapid response, the scenes meticulously combed for any shred of evidence. Mooney's approach also involved an unorthodox gambit. He issued a directive that any jazz band in the city should play a lively strain in the hopes of appeasing the Axeman, based on a peculiar letter the Axeman purportedly sent to a local newspaper. Some criticized the directive as absurd, yet amidst the fear, any course of action that offered a sliver of safety was embraced. Despite the heightened efforts, the police force was hampered by the limited forensic methods available at the time. Fingerprints were a novel concept and DNA analysis was still decades away. Moreover, the lack of a clear motive or suspect profile made the task of tracking the Axemen incredibly challenging. The pressure was not just operational but political as well. Mayor Behrman and his administration were feeling the heat, their positions and reputations on the line. They collaborated with the police, providing whatever resources they could muster, and appealed to the public for calm and cooperation. Yet, with every passing day in each new victim, the task of catching the axemen seemed to grow more daunting. The city was relying on its protectors, watching with bated breath as law enforcement waged a battle against the foe shrouded in shadows. It was a test of their resolve and skill, a chilling game of cat and mouse where the stakes were terrifyingly high. The law enforcement's response was a beacon of hope in the enveloping darkness. Despite the fear and the mounting challenges, they were determined not to yield. The fight was on, and the city's guardians were not about to let their city be consumed by terror. The hunt for the axemen was intensifying, and New Orleans was prepared to fight back. Chapter 3 A Letter from Hell In March 1919, as New Orleans was still reeling under the shadow of the Axemen, an unexpected twist occurred. A letter, signed by a person claiming to be the Axemen, arrived at the offices of the Times-Picayune, a leading New Orleans newspaper. The correspondent, ever the dramatist, had decided to directly address the city. The city's experienced editor, Leonard E. Thomas, held the ominous correspondence in his hands, a chill running down his spine as he read through the taunting, chilling prose. The letter was a bizarre mix of boasts, threats, and a strange affinity for jazz music. It was a terrifying glimpse into the mind of the madman terrorizing their city. The self-proclaimed axeman wrote, I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. He declared that at 12.15 on the night of March 19th, he would pass over the city and give the unfortunates a chance to escape his wrath if they played jazz in their homes. This horrifying promise held the city in its grip. 
the usual hum of New Orleans life was drowned by the disquieting notes of jazz that night. Homes, bars, and even street corners reverberated with the lively music, the city echoing with frantic melodies as its inhabitants hoped to appease the axemen. Despite the bizarre nature of the demand, the letter offered the police a valuable insight into the mind of the killer. Mooney and his team poured over the letter, searching for any hidden clues, any slip that could lead them to their quarry. Linguistic experts were called in to dissect the language used, hoping to gauge the education and background of the writer. The Axman's letter added another chilling chapter to the unfolding saga. His bold correspondence and the city's panicked response painted a vivid picture of the terror he commanded. It was a horrifying conversation, a disturbing waltz between the Axemen and the city he was terrorizing, the notes of their exchange playing out against the haunting backdrop of the New Orleans night. As the appointed night loomed, an uncanny sense of dread enveloped New Orleans. The city's normally exuberant jazz culture had taken on a strange, desperate edge. Jazz was no longer just the city's heartbeat, it had become a potential lifesaver. From seasoned musicians to amateur performers, everyone was preparing for a performance like no other a concert with life and death on the line. Never before had music held such sway over the city's fate. Iconic figures of New Orleans' jazz scene, like famed cornet player Joe King Oliver and the young Louis Armstrong, found themselves in a peculiar position. Their art, the soulful notes and improvisations they were known for, had now become a tool for survival. Dance halls, saloons, and homes turned into makeshift concert venues, their air heavy with a potent mix of fear and anticipation. The streets echoed with the lively strains of jazz, a defiant sound piercing the silent tension. Families huddled around their phonographs, turning up the volume, hoping the lively tunes would be their shield against the midnight marauder. From the upscale residences of the Garden District to the modest homes in Faubourg Marigny, the entire city was unified in their collective fight against fear, their weapon of choice being the rhythm of jazz. It was a citywide symphony of survival, an audacious concert played out in the face of unrelenting terror. When the dreaded night came, at exactly 12.15, as if on cue, the city of New Orleans burst into a frenzy of music. The air vibrated with a chaotic symphony of jazz music, each note a plea for mercy, each melody a testament to the city's will to survive. True to the Axeman's chilling promise, that night passed without an incident. The terror held its breath as jazz, New Orleans' own heart and soul, played on, not just as a symbol of the city's vibrant culture, but as a beacon of hope amidst the darkness. The Axemen may have intended to use their love for music against them, but the people of New Orleans used it to demonstrate their courage, resilience, and unyielding spirit in the face of terror. As the city succumbed to the Axemen's chilling reign, an unexpected reaction began to emerge amidst the fear and dread a morbid fascination. The Axeman was not just a terror, he had become a phenomenon, his audacious exploits, the strange connection to jazz and the cryptic correspondence all contributing to a narrative that was as horrifying as it was engrossing. This uneasy fascination was not limited to the boundaries of New Orleans. The news of the Axeman, his killings, and his taunting letter had spread across the country. 
people far removed from the immediate threat were captivated by the bizarre tale unfolding in the Big Easy. Newspaper articles, radio broadcasts, and fervent discussions in parlors and workplaces painted a terrifying but intriguing picture of the Axemen. Among the residents of New Orleans, this fascination was tinged with dread, creating an eerie mix of fear and intrigue. They talked in hushed whispers, speculating about the identity of the Axeman and his next move, his mysterious motivations and the inexplicable demand for jazz. Conversations were filled with a paradoxical blend of anxiety and curiosity. The city's famous writers and artists found themselves both horrified and intrigued. Writers like William Faulkner, known for his explorations of Southern Gothic themes, were drawn to the unfolding narrative. They captured the mood of the city, the fear, the desperation, and the stubborn hope in evocative prose and poignant verses. It was a chilling muse, an inspiration born out of the city's darkest hour. This bizarre fascination was a testament to the complex impact the Axeman had on the city. He was a terror, a mystery, and a perverse fascination, all at once. His reign had plunged the city into a state of fear but had also unwittingly enthralled them. The people of New Orleans were trapped in a gripping saga, their daily lives a blend of fear and fascination, their city a stage for a macabre spectacle that was as terrifying as it was captivating. The Axeman had become an inescapable part of their lives, his shadow looming over their days and nights, his presence a chilling reality they had to live with. Chapter 4 Unraveling Theories and Shrouded Truths As the hunt for the Axeman continued, the question that weighed heavily on everyone's mind was who could be behind this reign of terror? Police Chief Mooney and his team were desperate for leads. Despite the limited forensic capabilities of the time, they didn't leave any stone unturned in their quest to identify the potential suspects. Among those considered was a man named Joseph Mumfer, a notorious figure in the New Orleans underworld. Mumfer was known for his criminal activities and connections, making him a plausible suspect. He had the means and, perhaps, the motivation to be the axeman. However, Mumfer's activities didn't provide a concrete link to the axeman's crimes, and the lack of solid evidence kept him from being definitively identified as the elusive perpetrator. Another intriguing theory centered around organized crime. Some speculated that the Italian mafia might be involved, given their substantial influence in the city at the time. However, the seemingly random nature of the Axemen's attacks didn't quite align with the modus operandi of the mafia, who were known for their targeted and strategic acts of violence. Mooney's team also explored the possibility that the Axeman might be a deranged individual with a personal vendetta against the city or perhaps even someone suffering from a mental illness, given the bizarre nature of the crimes. Yet again, the lack of hard evidence made these theories purely speculative. Despite the cloud of uncertainty, the investigation uncovered fascinating aspects of the city's underbelly. From notorious criminals to influential syndicates, the search for the Axeman was a journey through the labyrinthine depths of New Orleans society. Each potential suspect added a new layer to the unfolding mystery, fueling the intrigue and keeping the city on the edge. The search for the Axeman was more than just a manhunt, it was a narrative of possibilities and theories, of potential suspects and dead-end leads. 
As Mooney and his team waded through this web of uncertainty, one thing was clear, solving this enigma was a daunting task, a battle against the unknown that tested their resolve at every turn. Yet they were determined to unmask the villain behind the terror, to bring an end to the city's nightmarish saga. The Axeman's reign not only sparked a desperate manhunt, but also fueled a wave of conspiracy theories. As the terror escalated and the clues remained elusive, the city's desperate quest for answers ventured into the realm of the unconventional and the bizarre. One popular theory suggested that the Axeman was not a man, but a supernatural entity. This idea was sparked by the inexplicable aspects of the Axeman's crimes, such as the small, neatly cut panels in the doors and the seemingly impossible escapes. People began to believe that the perpetrator was a demon or an evil spirit, an idea that was further cemented by the Axeman's own claim of being a devil from hell in his letter. Another conspiracy theory suggested that the government was involved. Given the worldwide tensions in the aftermath of World War I, some speculated that the Axeman was a result of a clandestine government operation gone awry, perhaps even a secret weapon turned rogue. It was a far-fetched theory, but in the climate of fear and suspicion, it found traction among a section of the population. In the city's vibrant jazz circles, some whispered about a cursed instrument causing the carnage. They believed that an enchanted saxophone or a possessed cornet was responsible for the killings, transforming its player into the axeman each night. It was an outlandish idea, but in the city that was the birthplace of jazz, music and magic were often seen as closely intertwined. These conspiracy theories were as varied as they were bizarre, reflecting the city's struggle to make sense of the horrors that had befallen them. In their quest for answers, the terrified residents of New Orleans ventured into the realms of the supernatural, the paranormal, and the extraordinary. Despite their unlikely premises, these conspiracy theories played a critical role in the Axeman narrative. They captured the collective fear and fascination of the city offering an intriguing peek into the psyche of a community under siege. More than just idle speculations, these theories were a testament to the city's desperation and determination, a reflection of their fervent hope that the mystery of the Axeman would soon be solved. The notion of the Axeman being a supernatural entity had gripped the city with a chilling fascination. Even skeptics found themselves questioning their beliefs as the inexplicable elements of the Axeman's crimes defied logical explanations. To delve deeper into the supernatural angle, the city turned to experts of the unexplained and the occult. One such figure was Marie Laveau II, the renowned voodoo queen of New Orleans. She was the daughter of Marie Laveau, the legendary voodoo queen, and had inherited her mother's mantle and spiritual powers. Residents flocked to her, seeking her insights into the Axeman's mysterious identity and supernatural abilities. While Laveau did not claim to have definitive answers, she conducted rituals and seances in an attempt to uncover the truth behind the terrorizing entity. In addition to local spiritual figures, the mystery also drew the attention of renowned paranormal investigator, Harry Price. Known for his investigations into hauntings and supernatural phenomena, Price came to New Orleans to study the Axeman case. He meticulously analyzed the crime scenes, conducted interviews, and carried out experiments, all in an attempt to unravel the supernatural claims surrounding the Axeman.
Price's investigation brought a more structured approach to the exploration of the supernatural theory. His methods, combining spiritualism and early scientific techniques, added a new dimension to the ongoing discourse on the Axeman's identity. However, even Price could not conclusively prove or disprove the supernatural elements associated with the Axeman, leaving the theory as tantalizingly uncertain as before. The exploration of the supernatural theory was a fascinating journey into the unknown. It showed the city's readiness to explore all possibilities in their quest for answers, blurring the boundaries between the tangible and the ethereal. Even though this path did not lead to the Axeman's identity, it offered a unique perspective on the mystery, adding to its intrigue and cementing its place in the annals of the city's history. Chapter 5 Unsolved Mysteries and Unyielding Efforts The hunt for the Axeman, as intense as it was, seemed to lead nowhere. The criminal remained as elusive as ever, vanishing into the night after every crime, leaving behind only a trail of fear and a city on edge. His taunting letters had only increased the sense of unease, turning him into a ghost-like figure haunting New Orleans. In their attempts to track the Axeman, law enforcement employed every resource available. Chief Mooney and his team worked tirelessly, following leads, interrogating suspects, and analyzing crime scenes. They patrolled the streets at night, hoping to catch the perpetrator in the act, and enlisted the help of citizens asking them to report any suspicious activities. Detective John Danton, renowned for solving high-profile cases, was brought in to support the investigation. Danton used profiling, an investigative strategy that was still in its early stages of development. This involved creating a psychological portrait of the Axeman based on his crimes, aiming to predict his next moves and ultimately track him down. Despite Danton's expertise, the Axeman remained one step ahead, his crimes continuing with chilling regularity. Meanwhile, the citizens of New Orleans tried to protect themselves in any way they could. They strengthened their home security, started neighborhood watches, and stayed indoors after dark. Jazz music floated from every home on Tuesday nights, a testament to the city's collective response to the Axeman's chilling proposition. Despite these efforts, the Axeman remained a phantom, a terrifying enigma that the city couldn't unravel. His crimes continued unabated, turning 1918 and 1919 into years of relentless terror for New Orleans. The Axeman was more than just a criminal on the loose, he was a question mark hanging over the city, a mystery that seemed to defy solution. As the city grappled with the relentless terror, the Axeman's elusive nature only added to his chilling legend. As the search for the Axeman seemed to reach a dead end, the city began to rethink its approach to the mystery. The fear, although still present, began to give way to a profound desire for understanding. Who was the Axeman, really? And what drove him to commit such heinous acts? A series of community discussions and town hall meetings were held, led by influential figures such as prominent sociologist Dr. Isabella Lindstrom and the city's mayor, Alexander P. Tarode. The goal was to facilitate a deeper understanding of the Axeman and to possibly identify patterns or motivations that might have been overlooked. Dr. Lindstrom proposed that the Axeman's actions could be a manifestation of deep psychological disturbances. 
she pointed to his tendency to break into homes, attack without stealing anything, and his need to taunt the city through his letters. All these factors suggested a man more driven by a lust for power and control than material gain. Mayor Tarode emphasized the need for community vigilance. He suggested that the axeman could be someone familiar with the city and its residents, perhaps even a local. He urged citizens to look out for any strange behaviors or patterns among those they knew. Parallel to these discussions, the local media began to delve into the Axman's story with renewed vigor. Investigative journalists like Clara Woodson from the New Orleans Advocate published in-depth analyses of the Axman's crimes, attempting to dissect the motivations behind his reign of terror. Her articles brought a fresh perspective to the narrative, sparking debates and discussions throughout the city. This rethinking of the Axeman was an attempt to wrest control from the hands of the anonymous terrorizer. It was the city's way of regaining their power, of not succumbing to the fear. The Axeman had forced them into a corner, but they were ready to fight back, to reclaim their city from the grip of this unending terror. As they dug deeper into the psyche of the Axeman, they hoped to find a lead, a glimmer of a clue that could bring them closer to solving the mystery. Even in the face of overwhelming fear and uncertainty, the people of New Orleans found themselves drawn into the enigma of the Axeman. The terror he instilled was matched only by the fascination he commanded. The city found itself trapped in a paradox of horror and intrigue that only magnified as the Axeman's legend grew. In local taverns and coffee shops, the Axeman was the main topic of hushed conversations and heated debates. His letters were analyzed and overanalyzed, his modus operandi discussed in painstaking detail. His audacious claim of being a supernatural entity sent ripples of both fear and fascination as people pondered over the potential truth of his words. This captivation extended beyond the boundaries of New Orleans. National newspapers picked up the story the gruesome tale of the Axeman grabbing headlines across the country. The unknown perpetrator quickly became infamous, his story spreading far and wide. Even within the realm of popular culture, the Axeman left a mark. As the years passed, his story inspired numerous books, movies, and television shows. His mystery continued to captivate audiences, his unresolved identity sparking imagination and speculation. The renowned mystery novelist, Agatha Christie, found herself intrigued by the Axeman story. She traveled to New Orleans, hoping to gain insight into the criminal mind for her novels. While she never openly admitted it, many speculated that her book, The Shadowy Figure, was heavily inspired by the Axeman's case. The fascination with the Axeman of New Orleans, thus, went far beyond his reign of terror. His story penetrated the cultural fabric, becoming a part of the city's folklore. The Axeman, the elusive phantom, continued to haunt the city, his legacy living on in whispers of horror and curiosity. His unending fascination was a testament to the paradox of fear and intrigue, showing how a reign of terror could morph into an undying legend. Chapter 6 Recent Developments and Lingering Shadows Even as decades passed, the enigma of the Axeman refused to fade. The unsolved mystery continued to captivate investigators and citizens alike, turning into a cold case that refused to be forgotten. 
However, an unexpected development renewed the city's interest and gave them a glimmer of hope. In 2023, a construction crew working on a renovation project in the French Quarter unearthed a peculiar artifact an old, rusty axe. The location, the age, and the make of the axe matched the descriptions of the weapon used by the axemen. This new evidence sent shockwaves through the city, as the discovery opened the door to revisit the century-old mystery. Amelia Sterling, an established historian and author of several true crime books, took interest in the case. Her analytical approach and attention to detail had earned her acclaim in the academic world, and she hoped to apply her skills to the Axman case. Collaborating with local law enforcement and utilizing modern forensic techniques, she hoped to extract information from the newly found axe. Simultaneously, Lucas Blackwell, a young and ambitious forensic analyst, started a meticulous examination of the old police records. The technology and investigative techniques of the early 1900s were primitive compared to modern standards, and he hoped that a fresh look at the evidence could yield new insights. The discovery of the axe brought the city's attention back to its haunting past. The story of the axeman, which had until then been a tale to frighten children or a myth to intrigue tourists, was now very much back in the realm of the real. It was a tangible link to the city's chilling past a piece of the puzzle that could potentially unlock the mystery that had baffled New Orleans for over a century. The city held its breath, waiting to see what the old axe could reveal about its ancient terror. Despite the discovery of the axe and the renewed fervor in investigations, the identity of the axeman remained as elusive as ever. Even with modern forensics and investigative methods at their disposal, the century-old mystery refused to be easily unraveled. Amelia Sterling's efforts to glean information from the discovered axe proved to be more challenging than anticipated. The axe was severely corroded due to the passage of time, making it nearly impossible to obtain any DNA or trace evidence. Meanwhile, Lucas Blackwell's re-examination of the original police files, though meticulous and detailed, struggled to yield any significant breakthroughs. The mystery of the axeman, it seemed, was destined to remain unresolved. However, these failed attempts did not dampen the spirit of New Orleans. Instead, the city embraced the Axeman's legacy as part of its rich history. His story became ingrained in the city's lore, the mystery surrounding his identity adding to the city's appeal. Tour guides began including the Axeman's tale in their city tours, and artists used the story as an inspiration for their works. The renowned New Orleans Museum of Art even dedicated an entire exhibit to the Axeman. Called a Symphony of Terror, the Legacy of the Axeman, the exhibit featured a detailed timeline of the Axeman's crimes, copies of his letters, and the recently discovered axe. The exhibit attracted visitors from all over the world, further cementing the Axeman's place in New Orleans history. As the city learned to live with the unresolved mystery, the Axeman's legacy grew. His story, once a source of terror, now stood as a symbol of the city's resilience and its enduring fascination with the unknown. The Axeman of New Orleans, the enigmatic phantom that once held the city hostage, had become a part of its timeless lore, his mystery becoming an essential thread in the city's vibrant tapestry of history. While the physical terror of the Axeman had long ceased, 
his impact resonated far beyond the years of his reign. This seemingly unstoppable phantom who had once paralyzed New Orleans with fear had left an indelible mark, shaping the city's cultural narrative and influence. The Axeman's tale had an unexpected consequence, it sparked a wave of interest in criminal psychology and forensics. Many who followed the case closely were intrigued by the puzzle it posed and were inspired to pursue careers in these fields. The city's colleges and universities began offering more courses in criminal justice and forensic science, feeding this newfound fascination. This heightened interest also led to the establishment of the New Orleans Center for Forensic Research in 2025. The center, led by Dr. Cynthia Marquez, became a leading institution for forensic study and crime analysis. It held yearly conferences on various criminal cases, including the Axemans, inviting renowned experts from around the globe to discuss and dissect these mysteries. In a broader societal context, the Axemans' legacy initiated conversations about public safety and law enforcement methods. It prompted the city's administration to invest in improved safety measures and modernize their police force. It brought about a significant shift in the way law enforcement agencies across the country approached serial crimes, leading to more robust and coordinated responses. The Axeman story also became a cultural phenomenon. From the jazz tunes played on March 19, 1919, to films, books, and art inspired by the Axeman, his tale became a part of the city's cultural consciousness. Even decades later, his story continued to capture the imagination of writers, filmmakers, and artists. The Axeman of New Orleans, though a figure of terror and mystery, had an unforeseen and lasting impact on the city. His legacy not only shaped New Orleans's cultural and historical narrative but also prompted advancements in criminal justice and societal safety measures. His tale, though chilling and unresolved, became a catalyst for change, a testament to the city's resilience, and a gripping reminder of its vibrant, albeit haunting, past.